right, everyone, if we could turn our Bibles to Psalm 1, 1 through 6, we will have our first scripture reading of the morning. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. The big idea of this morning's worship guide is, as it says in your handout, heart transformation does not come simply from reading the Bible. It is the fruit of meditation and worship. In John Owen's Meditations and Discourses on the Glory of Christ, he forcefully writes, it's a rather strong statement, if we settle for mere speculations and mental notions about Christ as doctrine, we shall find no transforming power. But when under the conduct of spiritual light, our affections do cleave unto him with full purpose of heart, our minds fill up with thoughts and delight in him. Then character change or virtue will proceed from him to purify us, increase our holiness, strengthen our graces, and to fill us sometimes with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's a lot of big words in that quote from John Owen, but if you could sum it up, I would think he's trying to say, doctrine about Jesus, truths from the Bible, those categories, cannot be merely mental notions, but they must lead to doxology, worship, heartfelt joy unspeakable, delight, and then from that will flow character change, transformation, purifying our hearts, increasing holiness, strengthening God's grace. So the goal is as we continue our series of studies, reading of scripture, and especially in this time of COVID-19, these Sunday morning guides are probably less trying to recreate a worship service. I, I think maybe you've captured that over the last few weeks. And more trying to equip the saints, trying to encourage your discipleship in the home and every day at life. And so there's been a little bit more emphasis in these guides and in these instructions about practices of the Christian faith that we might want to be working on during this time. And primarily, they've been centered underneath of the big umbrella of prayer. So in this week's guide, we're going to be focusing on meditation, the Christian and biblical practice of meditating on God's word so that it transforms the heart, leads us to prayerful worship. And so as John Owen has said in the quote I just read, let's not settle for mere mental notions about Christ. Let's not be the kind of church that's really good at getting all of our doctrinal ducks in a row just for the sake of getting our doctrinal ducks in a row and making sure we've got all the right Bible verses memorized and other people don't. Instead, may doctrine about Christ lead us to transformation, to give us delight in the truth of God's word. 
And so that's what we'll be focusing on. There's two parts to this worship guide. Part one is to try and define what is Christian meditation. And then the second part is going to try and provide some basic instructions for how we can individually, corporately, in our lives, practice meditation. So, as I mentioned, if you have your Bibles, let's read Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the 150 psalms, and follow along as I read this key introductory passage. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as we look at this psalm, we obviously want to focus in especially on verse 2. So look back again at verse 2 and notice the contrast between verse 1 and verse 2. Blessed is the man, happy, fulfilled, the deep longings of the heart, a sense of satisfaction. That sounds pretty good, right? Blessed. How do I get to the state of blessedness? Well, it is not by walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. It is by, and then look at verse 2, delighting in the law of the Lord. And then on his law, he meditates day and night. Hebrew poetry, one of its main devices or techniques is to use parallelism, where you say one idea, but you say it in two different ways. So look at verse 2 and notice that he's saying the same idea, but in two different ways. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And what that means is, when we're trying to understand meditation, when we read the word meditate day and night, it's being paralleled as a synonym with delighting. So another way to talk about meditating is delighting. The very word in verse 2 for meditate is the Hebrew word hagah, and it is a onomatopoeia, which it means the word when you say it, it sounds like what it means. Hagah, it sounds like when you say it, especially with a, a low kind of muttering voice, like this whispering, haga, 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 you know, this sort of lower undertone mutter or whisper to oneself. So in summary, most people have defined this word meditate in the Hebrew as being a way to ponder or reflect by talking to yourself. And so if you've ever thought, man, Christians and some of the things we do, it's kind of weird. You know, we get together and we eat bread and we drink 
a cup, and we talk about it being the body and blood of Jesus. You know, that's, if you step back sometimes, you might think, well, that's weird. Well, the weirdness is only getting weirder as we talk about meditation as being, oh, we're going to be people that talk to ourselves, And uh, I think that's very much what I'm hoping you all take away from this. Um, because it seems like in Psalm 1, in the use of the word meditate and studying the practice of the ancient church and the people of God, silent reading in one's mind was more rare. It appears to have been more common in the practice for people to read God's word out loud, even to themselves in this low meditative voice. So I think Martin Luther in the 16th century, that German theologian reformer, picked up this idea and in his book on prayer encouraged Christians to spend time with God by reciting to themselves some part of scripture. This reciting of scripture, he believes, is at the very heart of what he calls contemplation or what we're calling today Christian meditation. And so what we want to realize is that meditation is not the same thing as just simply reading or studying the Bible. It is taking the word of God and pondering it in such a way that your thoughts and feelings lead you to delight and worship God. In Luther's book, he encouraged this practice as he says, I want your heart to be stirred and guided so that you are rightly warmed and then inclined toward prayer. It's as if in his book on prayer, he's saying that the reason that we do meditation is so it prepares us for worship and communion with God, which brings us back to the call to worship I read from Isaiah 55. We talk to God. We have a relationship with God because he has called us. He has initiated and invited us into this relationship. So I want you to think for a moment now with the common use of cell phones and the interactions that we're having online all the time. I want you to imagine that you're having a phone call, especially just you're on the phone and you can't see the person and you're talking on the phone. And as you're doing so, you start to notice that on the other end, it's kind of silent. And then you say something and then you don't hear anything back. And then you realize that the other person either dropped off the line or the connection's bad. There's all kinds of reasons, right? Where you might realize, oh, wait, I've been talking to myself for quite a while now. I think for a lot of times when I talk to Christians or people think about prayer, that's essentially what they feel like prayer is. Them talking on the phone to nobody. A one-way relationship where there's no back and forth between you and God. Now, if you're in that kind of phone call, what do you do? What do you do when you realize, oh, the other person fell off of the line. I hang up the phone. I don't just keep acting like they're there. And I try and reconnect with them. This is why meditation is the bridge between the word of God, him speaking to us, and then prayer, us speaking to God. It is a kind of slow talking to oneself or having God speak to us through his word, delighting in it, rejoicing in it, and finding such great worship in the heart that it leads us to want to talk to God. Now, surely this is more of me trying to set an ideal, paint a picture for you for what 
your communion and your dwelling in the presence of God could look like individually and corporately when we worship. There's a lot of times where it feels like we're alone and we're lost in the middle of the ocean and we're sending out a signal flare and shooting up prayers to God and saying, God, I'm lost. Where are you? Save me, rescue me. Surely there is prayer like that, but we need to realize that meditation is a helpful way for us to create a bridge from just merely reading and studying the Bible and having prayerful worship. On your handouts, you should see hopefully just a little simple diagram of reading, studying the Bible leads us to meditation, which then leads us to worship and prayer. So what I want to do is I want to just model this idea for us in a prayer of praise now. I'd like us to think about one of the first responses of your time in God's word to be something that leads to praise, to focus in on God, pondering and reflecting who God is. My hope is that this will not just be something we go through this morning during this home worship guide, but that this worship guide might be one of those things that you tuck away, fold, print, put in your Bible, reuse again and again as as a helpful guide for you to think about uh, how to spend time in the word and prayer on your own and with your families. So let's go to the Lord now in a prayer of praise as we respond to what we just read in Psalm 1. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we want to give you praise. We want to praise you, God, that you have revealed yourself in your law. You have spoken. You are a God who speaks. You are not silent. We do not pray to you now as a one-way conversation. We praise you, God, as a God who reveals. That you've revealed yourself in the law. And that that law is not just a bunch of rules, but in fact, the law is your story of salvation and redemption. With some rules in it, which are really good and helpful, and we praise you for those rules. But most of all, God, we praise you for the way you've revealed yourself to us as the God who saves and rescues the God who has delivered us out of slavery, the God who brings us from life, brings us new life out of death. We praise you, God, that the story of Scripture tells us of this grand redemption plan and that you are a God full of mercy and grace, that you don't leave us in the dark, that we don't have to wonder who you are or what, you, what you're like. We most of all, God, want to praise you now that you have revealed yourself to us and spoken to us in these last days through your Son, Jesus Christ, the one through whom you have pointed the heir of all things, the one who is with you in the very beginning of creation. Oh God, we praise you. We praise you that you exist, that you are real, that you are ultimate reality, that you are not a figment of our imagination, but in fact, you are flesh and blood. You are with us. You are not a God who is far off and distant. You're a God who comes near, who wants to dwell with us, to be in our very heart and home and in our lives. God, we praise you that you have revealed yourself as excellent, as most worthy of praise. 
as a God who is worthy of delight and adoration and affection, that it should lead us to sing and glory and worship. We praise you that you, in fact, are worthy of these things. So we ascribe to you, O God, all the glory and praise that you deserve. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in a spirit of response and prayer and worship. And really, in that moment, I hope you caught it. I was just kind of riffing and meditating off of the idea of Psalm 1, verse 2. That God has revealed himself to us in his law, in his Torah, in his instruction. And so I was meditating on that and giving God praise. And so that's why our next two songs are going to be continuing the meditation in song form. Speak, O Lord, and meditating on the glory of God's word. And then how firm your foundation. And it's the foundation of God's word. So these next two songs are really just going to continue the meditation of prayerful praise in song form. Let's sing together. chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. I thought it would be helpful for us to see that in the Bible, both in Old and New Testament, one of the key ideas for having a relationship with God is this idea of meditation. And even though the word meditate isn't going to be used in our passage in Colossians, you are going to hopefully see that the concept is very clearly explained and commanded. And I think it's one of those interesting observations when you consider the Bible and the time period that it was written, that the Bible in some ways really doesn't command us to read the Bible uh, like alone in our quiet times. And in part, that's because people didn't have Bibles. They didn't have what you and I might call quiet times with a book, a, a codex, you know, the, the binded book that we have that's in our laps or on our tables or wherever you are. Or if you're scrolling on a phone with your Bible, like these things did not exist. They were scrolls and they were expensive and not everybody could afford them. So to have a Bible right now, I hope gives you a sense of, wow, this is amazing that we have this privilege. Most people throughout history did not have one of these. Secondly, most people throughout history did not know how to read. It was only the educated and the wealthy and the more learned. I mean, just think most women never even went to school beyond a certain age. And so women, if you know how to read and you have a Bible, like, wow, this is amazing that we have this ability right now to turn our Bibles to Colossians 3 and read this old scroll or papyra that was written down by Paul in a jail cell that now is preserved for us 2,000 years later. And here we are about to read this ancient letter and document that's been inspired by the Spirit with this instruction for us. And so since people couldn't read and they didn't have their Bibles, it seems like an emphasis in the Bible is not so much read your Bible every day because that will make you a good Christian. I mean, it would be so simple if that's all it took. Just think about that for a minute. Just read your Bible every day, and then you'll be a good Christian. Or put it another way, 
What if it was just pray every day? Read your Bible and pray every day. But so far, we've noticed that the Bible is not telling us that the blessed man or woman is somebody who just does some sort of action that you can go through as a little ritual. It is that through the ritual of the word and prayer, we are to delight. Or turn with me to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Notice Paul's language here about our hearts. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The key verse here that I want to give to your attention is where you see in verse 15 that the command is, let God's peace rule in your hearts, which I think for most of us is a lot easier said than done. Let God's peace rule in your hearts during COVID-19. Not knowing what June is going to look like in the state of Illinois. Not knowing when we might be able to gather again as a church. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. How? How do we let God's peace rule our hearts and become people that are clothed then with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness as verse 12 says? Verse 16. By letting the word of Christ. Now, I believe this phrase, the word of Christ, is referring explicitly to the message of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. Let the ministry and the message of Jesus Christ dwell in you richly. How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so we can have peace rule in our hearts? How do we let that happen? And he gives these participle explanations through teaching and admonishing one another through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our heart the word dwell here is the word for living or taking up residence it's imagining somebody moving into your house and taking up a bedroom and saying okay they're now moving in He is saying, I want you to open up the house of your heart, the house of your life, and that you would let God's word, more specifically the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of good news, that you are a sinner, but Christ came to rescue and redeem sinners, that he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven. He is the Lord who pours out the Holy Spirit so that his spirit can dwell in your hearts. That message of truth, that ultimate reality of who we are and whose we are in the gospel, that needs to take up residence. It needs to dwell and have life and live in our hearts. So we want that to happen. And verse 17 tells us, or 16 that is, tells us that that happens through teaching, 
and through singing, teaching and singing. Maybe if we were to say it another way, meditation happens, worship happens as a result of teaching or reading or studying, then that results in worship. And I think that that's what I'm trying to suggest today is that we need to first read the Bible, learn the doctrine or the teaching. You have to first begin with that. And then once you know what it's saying, you need to like simmer, let it sit, let it dwell, meditate on it, repeat it, tell yourself, talk to yourself, preach to yourself, think over and over, mull it over, talk it over with friends. That's why there's this one another idea. Teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom that you've received from the gospel. And then sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's, I think, a combination of doctrine and doxology. The teaching that we need about God's word, but that then a worship that leads to exaltation and expression of joy and thanksgiving and lament and all the different forms of prayer and worship that we've been talking about. And I believe the bridge between those two, the connecting point between just study of God's word that might sometimes feel like a, a mere mental exercise for a lot of people when you read the Bible and you're like, ah, I'm not getting much out of that. Slow down, take a deep breath, read it over again. So I want to give you some basic principles, some steps. It's in your handout. I'm going to just walk you through them. And then I want to give an example of it. And then we're going to close out our time. We're going to sing a couple songs as we do. We're going to give a benediction. And if you need to get going, you can get going. But instead of just saying hello, this or that, I'd like us to do kind of a corporate time of meditation as a church family. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But let's first just make sure we have an idea of just some basic steps for how to practice Christian meditation. So first, pick a Bible passage that you have already been taught. You know what it means. This is where the teaching and admonishing one another comes into play. You can't meditate on a passage and have it live in your heart and not know what it actually is saying. You're going to be confused and struggle and be like, I don't even know what this is talking about. So say, for example, Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 is one of the most confusing Bible passages that exists. My guess is that shouldn't be like regular meditation for you. You might not be wanting to think about who the Nephilim are and trying to spend this heartfelt, dwell in me richly Nephilim. You know, like that's not what I think you want to do when you're starting out this practice. Take a simple one verse paragraph, maybe even a whole book of the Bible, a short one, long one. It doesn't matter the length. The idea is take the message of Christ, a part of God's word, and one that you have a general good grasp on. I have a good idea of what this is saying. In other words, another thing to do is after you go to a Wednesday Bible study or a Sunday morning class or a, a, a Sunday sermon and you hear the word and you're taught, okay, now I know what that means. Oh, that was helpful. Does it stop there? Is that all you're just trying to get? Just more information, knowledge, download to say, oh, now I know what that Bible passage means. And does it just stop with, okay, now I know what to do with this Bible passage. I don't even think that's enough. A lot of times when people do their Bible reading, they're told, observe, interpret, and apply. 
which means I need to observe what's going on in this passage. I need to figure out what it means. And then I need to figure out what to do with it as if it's like this, you know, formula of let me quickly do. And I think this is a good practice for studying the Bible. I don't think it's the best practice for transformation of discipleship. Transformation of discipleship is going to happen best when you delight, as Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who delights in the word of God, and you need to first study it so you can move forward with delighting. Step two, once you have a passage that you're familiar with, you've studied it, you're not confused about what it means, slowly read it out loud to yourself or with the people that you are with. Out loud is not a command that you must do it, even though literally that is what we saw meditation means in Psalm 1. I think there's something very helpful about the practice of not just reading it in your mind, but hearing the words as you speak them out loud and telling yourself. This is this practice. If you've been around embassy, you've hopefully heard this from me and other people. We need to learn how to preach to ourselves. We need to stop just listening to the thoughts from the world in our head, those random things that come and go throughout our brain, some good, some not so good. We need to learn how to preach and insert in new ideas. And sometimes that happens best through reading out loud to ourselves. So do it slowly. Don't be in a hurry. This is not a practice of let me do my Bible reading, check that off the list, close the Bible up. Thank you, God, for this. I pray that you'd help me today. Amen. It's better than nothing. It's a good ritual. I, I commend you to do that if that's all you've got time for. But I suggest this practice we're talking about, you need some space. You need some time. So three, ponder and reflect. Start thinking about how that passage is specifically drawing you to God. How is it revealing God? Even if it's a passage that's not saying something specific about God is holy and righteous, but it's a passage that, like, say, for example, look down at Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's telling you to do something. But from it, you know something about God. We're supposed to put on holiness and compassionate hearts because we know this reflects God's image best. This is what he's like. So instead of just immediately going to, okay, let me think about myself, first pause, ponder, and think about the compassion and the holiness and the love, loveliness and the kindness and the humility and the patience of God. This is what point three is about. It is pondering and reflecting how this is warming your heart to meditate and ponder God. Fourth, I recommend at this point trying to sum it up Boil it down. Don't try and get too much, too many thoughts in your head. Think about one simple idea. When we were doing the prayer of praise earlier in the home worship guide, you saw me kind of hone in on this idea of, okay, God has given us his law. He has revealed himself to us. There's my one big idea that I'm going to just meditate on and keep praying and praising God. God, you are not silent. You didn't leave us in the dark. And so I'm honing in on that one concept, that one phrase, that one idea. If I'm taking notes, I might journal that down in my journal. I might write a, a sentence. And then use that one idea to lead you in a time of prayer. And so this is the bridge. We've done the meditation. Meditation is now over and it leads us to worship. And then step five is how does this concept 
lead me to praise God? How does this concept lead me to confess my sins to God? How does this guide me in my prayer requests for myself and for others? How does this lead me to thank God for the gospel? In what ways does Jesus himself embody the thing that I was giving God praise for? How does Jesus provide a solution to the sins that I just confessed? And how does Jesus provide hope for those longings in my prayer requests? So let me just walk you through with eyes open, just give you an example of what I mean by that. Taking what we saw in Psalm 1, and I already started it with a prayer of praise earlier. So we looked at Psalm 1, verse 2. Delight yourself in the law of God. Meditate on his law day and night. And I took away from that concept, God has revealed himself to us and we should delight in this. So that's what we're praising him for. That's step one. of. So I'm going to do prayer of praise and I'm going to say, God, I praise you that you have revealed yourself to us. Step two, confess my sins in light of that concept. God has revealed himself to me. And how many times have you and I taken the Bible for granted? How many times have you thought, I'm more interested in other kind of books or literature or ideas? How many times have you not been shaped or transformed by the message of the gospel or the word of God? So I confess my sins on the basis of that. And that might sound like, God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by not loving your word, by not treasuring it, by not having my identity and life shaped by it. Sometimes, God, I might go through the ritual of reading my Bible without really delighting and enjoying your word. Step three of prayer. From there, I'm going to pray for myself and others, and I'm going to immediately say, God, forgive me for these sins. God, lead me to righteousness. Give me a hunger for the Bible. And then I'm going to start praying that for other people. God, I pray for Embassy Church, for my family, for my wife and for my children. I pray that they would delight in the law of God and that they would meditate on it day and night and that they would be centered around God's word and that it would lead from doctrine to doxology and that there would be a growing sense of love for the Bible. That Wednesday Bible studies would just be so full that people would want more and more of the Bible, that we would need Tuesday Bible studies and Thursday and Friday and we would just need so much Bible studying so that people could get more of God's word, whatever that is. We're praying, God, do this. And then I'm going to finish my time giving thanks to God for the gospel. How does Jesus embody God revealing himself? Well, that one's easy. That's the prayer I prayed earlier, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In various times and in various ways, God's revealed himself But in these last days, he's revealed himself through his son. So now we say, God, we praise you that Jesus is the word, the divine word that was made flesh. And that the fullness of your revelation of speaking to us came not through just a message or a dream or a vision or a man writing down a book. It came through a human being in human history. I'm so thankful for Jesus coming into the world. I'm thankful, God, that you have provided a solution for my sins. My heart has grown cold at times towards your word. But we see Jesus being the God who loves the word, 
meditates on it day and night, memorizes it. I'm thinking about Jesus right now in Luke chapter 4 or in Matthew 4 when he's in the temptation in the wilderness and he is getting onslaught from the devil of temptations to sin. And what does he do but shows his meditation of repeating God's word in his heart and having it dwell in him over and over again. And I'm thankful for the solution to my sin that I confessed. And then I'm thankful for the hope that Jesus promised to send his spirit and change the desires of our hearts so we would walk in obedience to God through the Holy Spirit. And so because of the work of the gospel and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I'm now thanking God that we can in fact have his word take residence and dwell in us. That that's not just some idea or a hope or a longing, that is reality for New Testament Christians today. And that would be an example of me walking through, praise God, confess sin, pray for myself and others, thanking God for the gospel and ending with this glorious meditation on, man, the gospel is good. And I have hope today for all the longings that I've been praying for, all of the sin that I have confessed and my ultimate hope in who God is. So what we want to do is we want to close out our time with two songs now, In Christ Alone and This I Believe, kind of piggybacking off that last little part of the meditation. In Christ Alone, This I Believe, very Christ-centered meditations. We want to just close out our time thinking about we believe in the gospel. We want to dwell in our hearts the message of Jesus Christ. As verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? By teaching and by singing. So let's sing now these two songs in Christ alone and this I believe so that Christ's message will dwell in us richly. Adam. benediction comes from the book of Romans chapter 16 verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a good passage to meditate on, isn't it? How are you strengthened? How can you have your faith strengthened? According to the preaching of the gospel, by having the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The secret from long ago throughout the whole Old Testament of wondering how God was going to fulfill his promises has come to fruition through the obedience of faith in Jesus Christ, which leads us to verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Or if we were to say it again, 
doctrine of the glory of Christ's work and ministry and teaching and message leads to doxology. I hope you all have a great week. Thank you.